welcome to Art of the Score, the podcast that explores, demystifies, and celebrates some of the greatest soundtracks of all time from the world of film, TV, and video games. I'm Andrew Poxon, and in each episode, we'll be joined by Daniel Golding and Nicholas Buck as we check out a soundtrack we love, break down its main themes, explore what makes the score tick, and hopefully impart our love of the world of soundtracks. In episode 19, we continue our dive into the world of spies and espionage with part two of our analysis of James Bond, that amazing franchise that has existed over the last 50 years. Having exhausted the Connery era in part one, we set out to tackle the movies of the 70s through to the early 90s with the Roger Moore, Timothy Dalton and Pierce Brosnan eras. And of course, the great music from George Martin, Marvin Hamlish, Bill Conti and of course more from the great John Barry. And joining me, still in his tuxedo, but I guess it is after 5pm, is a composer, arranger, orchestrator, conductor and owner of the one and only Australian Martin. It's Nicholas Buck. Did you get that joke there, Nick? Uh, I the did. It was um, Australian Martin. It's like an Austin Martin. It's a Bond joke, Nick. It's totally fantastic. And uh, look, I've finished my martini. I'm about to start my second. And uh, I can't think of a better way to do it than with you guys by my side. Oh, that's so nice. And uh, sitting next to me is the guy who loved me, is a, a writer, critic, composer, university lecturer, and often locally in Melbourne here, referred to as the James Bond of Brunswick. It's Dan Golding. How are you doing, Dan? Uh, I'm doing good. We're on episode two of three. There's still a bit to go, but, you know, just one of the many things I do for England. So, you know, hopefully this will <laughs> this will uh, we'll, we'll get through. Uh, I mean, this actually, I'm particularly excited about the music of this episode because it is dorky, <laughs> <laughs> I think, is perhaps the, the most direct way I can put it. I that mean, there's is, some yes. great tunes in here, but it's where James Bond discovers his groove. Absolutely. And of course, before we dive into part two, I need to uh, get the plugs in there. Mm. Dan, um, if you are listening at home, you're enjoying this, you know, make sure you press subscribe, leave us a review on iTunes, send us a message on the on the socials. Um, I'm liking that word now, mm. getting on the socials. Oh, yeah. Uh, on the on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, all at Art of the Score. We'd love to hear from you. We really we've been enjoying a couple of really lovely emails uh, that people have been uh, sending in. And Nick, that email address is uh, contact contact yes at artofthescore.com.au. dot au. The au is for. Australian, Australian Martin. It absolutely <laughs> is, yes. Yes, it's named after my vehicle waiting outside yeah. the recording studio tonight. I was sure that joke would work, Nick, but you looked at me very stony face. So um, anyway, we'll, um, we'll, we'll leave it at that. So, uh, Dan, let's, let's continue on mm. this journey. And, of course, uh, we not only changing uh, to another part mm. of, in our series on other score here, but we're also changing bonds. That's right. So Sean Connery only came back for one film to sort of help them out with Diamonds Are Forever. And he was very, very keen to... Diamonds Are Forever! <laughs> A lot of people told me that they wanted more of that. Did they? Yeah. Roger That's Moore of Roger that? Moore of yeah. that. <laughs> We'll see. We'll see if the, mm. the listeners might get a mm. little, little sneak peek as we go along. Yeah. A little, little extra. Yeah. Yeah. So. Sorry, Dan. No. <laughs> don't be sorry for. Dr. Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
dear. We can only talk in titles now mm. for the rest of the episode. Uh, Sorry, so, Dan. Off so, you go. So, so we, get <laughs> we, get, we get another moment of renewal again, I think, with Live and Let Die and with Roger Moore turning up in that it's, it's very clearly a new era for Bond. I think more than any other era, the films that we're going to discuss in this block are films that are really responding to the you know, what's popular and the, the massive shifts that occur in the film industry in the 1970s with big blockbusters and genre films that come along and change what audiences are expecting. Live and Let Die from 1973 is really kind of a play on the black exploitation genre. So films like Cleopatra Jones, uh, Shaft, even um, Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song, which is, you know, one of the films that, that gave rise to that genre with um, the great independent filmmaker Melvin Peebles. Um, but it is, you know... To say that it's inspired by the black exploitation genre is to, to kind of erase the fact that it it look if I was going to pick a James Bond film that has a, a you know to return to that word a problematic storyline it would probably be this one given that he basically discovers that there is in fact an international black conspiracy <laughs> for, I mean like that is basically the plot of the film it's not great and it probably wouldn't fly today um, <laughs> but it is the introduction of Roger Moore. Yes. And he, for many people, defines James Bond, even though probably as individual films, they're not great. Um, and, you know, with Live and Let Die, we get firstly a great song. It's Paul McCartney and Wings doing Live Surely, and Let Die. Surely, no, wasn't it um, Guns N' Roses? <laughs> That's the first time Sacrilege. I heard it. That's the Sacrilege. first time. Live and Let Die. <laughs> do, um, do you want to do a karaoke of that one, Nick? I'm ready. Join in time, Dan. Okay, that's enough. <laughs> this is actually this is the song that Paul McCartney does most spectacularly live. I was lucky enough to yeah. see him when he came to Melbourne. It's a rocking song. And I mean, but when it you know when it hits that that point of you know live and let die boom, boom, that boom. i mean he does this every time but when i saw him it was just as great he sets off fireworks yep in time with that note um it's cool yeah it's just really cool yeah, yeah, yeah. um anyway it's a great song but we get a score by i guess the fifth beetle <gasps> uh which really is um is 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 the producer george martin uh, so he was along for the ride with Paul McCartney, I suppose. Um, and it's it's look, it's it's not a bad score actually. I quite like it. But you know, this era is where Bond gets his groove. So we can kind of hear in this track, Bond meets Solitaire, that we are moving into the 1970s. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. 
I'm talking about the man. Ooh, it's Bond. Shut your mouth. No, I'm talking about Bond. Exactly. <laughs> I'll cut that out, Dad. Don't worry. I'll oh, cut no. that bit out. No, it's fine. Yeah, okay, good. It's fine. It's, it's on your head, not mine. I'm, I'm loving this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is what happens when you bring martinis yeah, yeah. to recording sessions. the man wondering. <laughs> <laughs> and look, a lot of this early part of the film, especially, you know, he's set in New York, set in Harlem yeah. specifically. Yeah, yep. Um, and it really, you know, you feel that it, through the score, that, that sort of element of soul and, mm. um, yeah, and funk, it's really coming through there. In, even just like in the hi-hat, yeah, it's, oh, it's, it's all it's, in the high hand. Yeah, mm. yeah. You know, and there's a bit of a and and that guitar. other chord that they sort of rest on. Uh, yep. I'm not sure harmonically how that sits with the rest, but it feels like a really sort of soul move um, to sort of pivot into that into that chord that's added there. Yeah. So it's a really it's a different sound. I think another really cool moment is that great boat chase. Yeah. You know, and we get who is that character? Um, Sheriff J. W. Pepper. Oh, remember him? Yeah. And he he appeared in the next film in Moonraker. Yeah, I he loved turns him. Up in Moonraker. No, I uh, Man with the Golden Gun. I think. It is was. it? Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. But yeah, we we get this kind of really cool, quite ludicrous boat chase. But this really kind of great line in the middle of Martin's score, sort of. Um, <laughs> Which I don't know. Again, yeah, it has mm. a bit of the shape of the of that kind of secondary Bond line, and um, we were talking earlier, Dan, how it sort of almost feels a bit David Arnoldish in, in some ways. So th- this is a bit of the boat chase. Check it out. <laughs> And of course, it's got the use of, of bongos yeah. in the back there, along with the the funk, which I always think of the bongo thing and, and spies. I think of the uh, Mission Impossible, yeah. um, you know that that opening, uh, yeah, roll on on uh, bongos there. Mm. That's sort of so you know symbolic of of those sort of spy things. So mm. once again, it's sort of it's a weird instrument. Like I don't mm. uh, does. Do bongos turn up in other funk things? It doesn't. I mean, definitely yeah. the the hi hats. You know that whole thing with the drums, mm. the, the waka waka like, guitar. I know, yeah, I know heaps of, like Stevie Wonder mm. tracks that sort of. Well, have that's true, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, it also sits really nicely with wah wah guitar being used more percussively. Like, yes. Yeah. Like that yeah. sort of sound. It's almost yeah. like there that wah wah guitar is sort of trying to imitate mm. a yeah. bongo rhythm and stuff. Mm. And we mentioned in part one, or at least I pointed out in part one, um, how loose some of these recordings are. Press mm. press play on the beginning of this. Uh, Nick, hear how the strings get slightly out of time in the first few notes. They're like, close enough. Yeah. Close enough. We, we were together, weren't we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Notice that, yeah. Yeah, it's fine. Time, time is money in these. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. Yeah, anyway, sure. yeah, cool. I, I really like that. I, I mm. like that this has a funk vibe to it. I mm. mean, it can, be, it can be sort of dated maybe, but I don't know. It's a very cool sort yeah. of uh, Bond vibe. And, and look, you know, I think, I think one of the great things about these scores is that they are dated. Mm. In that yeah, you, you sure. can track the development of kind of not just film music, but what was cool at yep. that at that particular moment in time. Yeah, I do like that actually. I mean, I, mm. I often enjoy with some films that feel timeless, and mm. and I think a lot of people are very concerned. A lot of people, directors, mm. studios, whatever, are concerned with something feeling timeless. Yeah. But 
it's not always a great thing. Mm. I, I do like the idea of something being, um, you know, symbolic of its time and mm. and being unapologetic about that. Mm. Uh, yeah, and this certainly, like you said, it, you could track the um, pop music and what was popular in, you know, just pop culture in general at that time mm. um, and go back through all of these films and just really get a great feel for what was going on in that mm. era, you know. Mm. Definitely. And I mean, then, you know, Bonds, uh, you know, got back in the swing of things because we're, we're making a film a year again. Mm. So we go from Live and Let Die in 73 to The Man with the Golden Gun in 1974. And this is the return of John Barry. He's back. back. He's back. Mm. And look, I got to say this, uh, for some reason, this is one of the earliest Bond scores that I own. But uh, I've got a really big problem with Barry's main theme here. I think mm. it's one of the weakest Bond songs. Yeah, and I agree. I was always scratching my head as to why. And I think I've worked it out. So I reckon if you listen to the main, the main kind of riff of this song, well, basically the main melody, it's exactly the same as the bass line. And mm. so what you know, what that kind of means is, is is you get this kind of awkward parallel motion. So the main theme is. And the bass line just goes. So when you put them together, it just it just kind of mm. feels really dorky and kind of angular. There's no forward momentum, is it? Yeah. No, it's just it's everything's really kind of static. Like, yeah, and static mm. and sinking. It's mm. like it's just really sort of, plodding, I think. Yeah. yeah, and look, it is done quite beautifully in some of the romantic moments with um, what's her name, Mary Goodnight. There's yes. a cue called Goodnight, Goodnight, and it, <laughs> it's to me, it's it's a little redeemed in these romantic bits. God, there's such Barry isms even in that mm. little thing. It's like just yeah. do it twice each time. Yeah, yeah. Mm. and you know, and then look, a lot of the rest of the score is um, there's just nothing really new to it for Barry mm. to say in some of these bits. You know, there's sort of you know mysterious flutes, um, mm. the typical doublings. There's some fun action cues, <coughs> and our favourite Sheriff J W Pepper returns. Yeah, um, <laughs> and there is that fantastic stunt with the car that does oh. the corkscrew, uh, yeah. which was done for real. I mean, it's yeah. it's just it's that's the kind of stuff that makes Bond films. But so that, that really redeemed with this but, film. But I mean, that also does have, and I think this is Barry's music, not a sound effect, but when this, the car does the flip over the thing, yeah, there is literally that sound like on, on the soundtrack, which is, which is oh boy, that's an interesting choice. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I th like thinking of the, 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 the opening song as well, I mean, I kind of have a problem with the the lyrics. I mean, it's sort of like not so much double entendre as single entendre. I mean, I think the <laughs> opening lyrics are um, he's got a powerful weapon, he charges a million a shot and it's sort of like, oh, I wonder what you're talking about there. Like <laughs> I mean, it is the man with a golden gun. But yeah. mm.
not the best, <laughs> I have to say. Um, and yet it's the one we played. Yeah, well. <laughs> All these other great songs, we, we had to listen to me sing them. Yeah, but it yeah. is interesting to see to see Nick's analysis in, in, in you know, being illustrated. And the, I mean, yeah, the vocal line and the bass line are pretty much the same. Yeah, yeah. it just, just robs of any momentum. Mm. Yeah. I mean, speaking of songs, like... We got to talk about the Spy I Loved Me, which oh, was, you know, <clears throat> um, the next film, mm. and to me, such a different Bond song, yep. but it's just one of the greatest. Nobody does me better. Makes me feel sad for the rest. Nobody does it half as good as you, baby. You're the best. And I mean, it's written by one of the greatest songwriters, Marvin Hamlish, yeah. famous music theatre composer, worked with great, great, great um, famous singers. Um, what's her name? Um, Carly Simon. Carly Simon, yes. Yeah. Um, it's, a it's a real beauty. And incorporated into his score, which um, is always a nice and beautifully done thing. But again, we're, we're talking 70s here. Oh. And Hamlish's score, uh, more than George Martin, really really took a different a different mm. kind of path mm -hmm. um, and it just ramped up the 70s we're kind of going from funk and, and that jazz sound into more disco absolutely. You know, we're talking 1977 yep. so a three year gap down here three, well yeah mm. absolutely yeah one of the maybe ones. they were searching for a new composer for those three <laughs> yeah, years perhaps perhaps yeah um, but um, yeah some really great 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 disco stuff and yeah. you know the opening God, this has to be one of the best pre-title sequences yes, ever in I a Bond agree. film. Mm. You know, there, there's that legendary story of the audience standing up and giving yeah. an applauding standing ovation at mm. the parachute bit, you know, after that great ski jump. Yeah, but let's have a listen to um, yeah, this, this opening track called, appropriately, Bond 77. I mean, it's 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 a gift to the world. I feel like you know, <laughs> if, if if you know, you can just see how the the Bond theme is being transformed into this hilariously short-lived style that just places it into sort of the period of 1977 to 78, 9 probably. Yeah, yeah. And, yep. you know... It's and nowhere no, more. Exactly. Mm. No mo nowhere more. It's not cool <laughs> beyond that point at mm. all. Uh, it's almost got a cult following, that yeah. track. Oh, it's I'm really... one of the cult followers. Yeah. <laughs> I, think it's, I just think it's great. Like, it's so <laughs> dorky, but great. But, but kind of cool at the same yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. don't you also... I mean, apart from just the way it's played... 
I mean, the only Bondisms in there is where you know the the dun 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 mm. dun like those those little Bond elements. Mm. They're just chucked in. To go, it's Bond. Yeah, yeah. You know, but Pretty much, a, yeah. With a different mm. um, time feel, you know, mm. with a different uh, arrangement. Mm. Uh, but I mean, like, yeah. I mean, that's sort of what all, all the new composers have done. They've yep. just sort of put their own musical stamp and then just to suck it back into that world, mm. it's it's Bond. You know, and we'll see that through Michael Kamen, even yep. like, um, even like, you know, recently Thomas Newman. Yeah. A lot of his music doesn't necessarily sound Bondish, mm. and then all of a sudden you get you get those chords. Yeah. Yep. And and that's almost. It's almost enough. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. It totally is. And mm. you don't need to play the actual melody. You just—it's just that 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 harmony that yep. sort of adds that element of danger. Yeah, and mystery. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and you know, the the rest of uh, Hamlet's score has got some nice elements to it as well. I quite like this cue called the tanker, where it, you know this is really where we're sort of starting to go towards the the villain's lair territory again, and sort of this the same idea of big bold brass statements that we had with Barry is I think kind of re-articulated for 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 a, a bit of a new era. Actually, that would be amazing to see performed live because, I mean, there's really some heavy orchestration going on there, I yeah. think. And yeah. those swirling Barry strings from yeah. earlier, yep. you, yep. you really can hear it coming mm. back. And it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a two-way conversation. Mm. It's a two-person conversation. Mm. That mm. one, you've got the, the strings and brass uh, putting out their statements. It's a lot easier. And then you've got the responses from the lower end of the orchestra. It's two people talking to each other mm. and um, there really isn't anything in between. Mm. I mean, yes, okay, there are you know lots of different instruments on each each side of that conversation, but it really is two ideas, um, counterpoint, two sort of you know singular ideas being played against each other. And yeah, it's it's surprising for a mm. for a bond cue, yeah. you know. Mm. And the total opposite of like of Hamlish is very Relatively very delicate like mm. song that you know, and you think mm. of all the Bond songs. I mean, not many of them open. You know how um, Spy Loving opens with this sort of. Mm. It's so kind of like intimate piano bar. Yeah. You know. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Etc. Etc. It's it's um and the way he then weaves it into the score, it's total opposite of that of that mm. bombast. So he's not just a one 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 hit wonder. M- m- Absolutely, Hamlish. you know. And I, I mean, I wouldn't say that that music that we just heard before is particularly Marvin Hamlish's style. No. So I mean, he's kind There's of. There's a few surprises in this score. Yeah, he's adapting his his natural musical kind of language to 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 work within the Bond mm. style. Yeah. I think, which is yeah, I mean, it's great. Yeah. I mean, I always think of Hamlish as a songwriter. Mm. I don't yep. think of him as a score. Writer, no. and so, I think definitely his strongest 
thing he brought to this score was was the song. Yeah. Mm. And that Bond 77 riff. Yeah. Which is so cool. Ah, so um, good. Just before we move on, I do want to play one bit of music from this score, which I always actually thought was a bit of source music. Um, but it actually was written by Hamlish. And that's that that really weird scene where he goes to the pyramids. And oh. there's that kind of like sound and oh, light show. Isn't that great? Yeah. And we get this actually one of the... Oh, I'm trying to think if it's actually the first use of chorus mm. in a Bond film. I think you might be right. Let maybe listeners, if you're out there, if you know an earlier cue or an earlier film that uses the chorus, um, let us know. But here's 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 the kind of the end of this pyramid sequence where um, we're sort of Bond is sort of quite a ter- terse or tense kind mm. of moment where he's sort of um, running away from from Jaws. God, mm. what a great character he was. Mm. I mean, it's it's great, and I mean, I think it's sort of, you know, it shows that the spy who loved me, I think, is 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 one of my favourite Roger Moore Bonds um, by by a long shot, um, and and I think it highlights the way that this film is both a classic Bond in that it has you know the 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 villain with the underwater lair and you know the great big hulking bad guy in in Jaws um, and a lot of the classic elements, but it's still very modern, and you know like. Along with that, which is, you know, sort of source music, sort of not, um, because that's played during a sound and light show that is actually within the film. Um, and there's this quite modern, you know, sort of scene where that's played against the yeah. action. Um, but at the same time, you know, this is a this is a, a, a film that, it's 1977, it's two years after the film Jaws, and we've got a bad guy called Jaws, right? <laughs> so it's, it's, I mean, and that's quite deliberate, I'm sure, is sort of, you know, poking fun at, at what's happening. And we also get a cue later in the film, which uses the theme from Lawrence of Arabia. That's right, yeah. It just tracks it straight into the film. Yeah, yeah so right. Um, it's done to, to sort of look look upon itself, self-referentially, and sort of yeah. the jokes are... Mm. I mean, yeah. even that, and that, that, and that was Moore's style, wasn't it? Mm, mm. Even that cue that you just played felt like it could have come out of, you know, Lawrence of Arabia, the Ten Commandments. Mm. Or yeah, something. Ten Commandments. Yeah. It, it yeah. felt like it could have turned up in Raiders. Mm. Um, yep. There's, you know, those chords that they're using, uh, lots of sort of fourths and fifths in the harmony, mm. and you know, it's feeling very. Even um, I'm thinking of the uh, the Grail yeah. theme. You yep. know, it's got those yeah. vibes of. You know uh, the way it's the way it's played. Well, they're in Egypt. Yeah, 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 yeah totally, totally, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, I mean, before Raiders, though. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, but you know, as we're tracking the the Bond series, they're becoming more intertextual, I suppose, more aware of where they are in 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 film history and, and popular culture. Hilariously, this is such an aside, but I have to say it: the the woman who coined the term intertextual. Um, to describe, you know, texts borrowing from other texts, mm. was a was a critical theorist called Yulia Kristeva. She was outed this morning. She's 
long passed away. She was outed this morning as having been a Bulgarian spy as well as an academic. Fantastic. And so I feel like, oh God, you gotta gotta link <laughs> Mention the, that. Yeah, yeah, the, the spy <laughs> academic who gives us a language to deal with James Bond in intertextual <laughs> senses. But anyway. Oh, um, the depths of your nerdiness I and know, are I know. a joy to me every episode. <laughs> uh, so okay, let's move on. We get the return of John Barry once again in 79 with Moonraker, which is a fantastic song. But again, uh, I think Moonraker is another film where they've, you know, Nick, you were saying before that they've sort of looked at Star Wars, you know, destroying every box office record in 77. Um, they sort of wanted a slice of the pie. Yeah, so yeah. So they've gone, well, which, which, of, which of the Ian Fleming books involve space? Oh, well, there's a minor space subplot in Moonraker. <laughs> in the book. Yeah, in the book. The book is fantastic. James Bond never goes into space, though. Um, so there's, you know, it's really been um, very generously adapted. Um, but the, the song is great, I think. It's a beautiful song, yeah. Mm. And the third appearance of Shirley Bassey. Yes. She's a real, a real favourite. <laughs> yeah, the third and, and final. Yes, it was. Mm. Um but, you know, we get, um, I mean, we get some more choral moments. We do get some more choral. Uh, yeah, and, and look, again, similar space music, that kind of four-chord building progression as, as all the units go out into space towards the end. It's, it's so weird watching that sequence. You, you, you watch it and you just go, this doesn't really feel like Bond. Mm. The whole last bit within the spacesuit. Well, although, really odd. although, look, but if you take Thunderball as a precedent for slow-moving mass combat, that's true. Yeah, as <laughs> underwater, out of space, you know. It's but a, the space. I mean, after mm. two years after Star Wars, the yeah. space battle in this oh. is not. Is there a two thousand and one vibe? Uh, a little yeah, bit, yeah, a little bit as well. Mm. But yeah. two thousand one was at the start of the seventies, so yeah, 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 uh, yep. yeah. But I mean, look, it's the space decade because you know mm. we'd, we'd been to space in sixty nine. Yeah. So yeah. well, not me, but yeah. <laughs> and of course, oh, 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 we have to mention the. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, little oh, yeah. Uh, key code sequence that uh, that happens in the film. Yeah, nice. <laughs> Which, of course, listeners will know that as the theme from. Close Encounters. Absolutely. Mm. Word, word is that Cubby Broccoli asked Spielberg if he could, if he could borrow it for the mm. film. Yeah, and right. Spielberg allowed... Sorry, Broccoli in turn allowed Spielberg to use the Bond theme in The Goonies, believe it or not. Really? Yeah. And also know. in Catch Me If You Can many, many years later. Yeah. But, ah, interesting. Um, anyway. <laughs> really interesting. I love it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so look, let's hear some of this um, cue called Flight Into Space. Don't you think that 
in terms of Barry's style, that all I'm hearing is the beginning um, seeds of Dances with Wolves. Yes. Especially, yeah. Like in such a big way. Yeah, it's all those that sort of lower yeah. down, just romantic, broad stroke kind of. I stuff. mean, it's not Dancing with Wolves, <coughs> no. but I can hear his style yeah. is leading to that in a you know in a decade's yeah. time. Yep. Yeah, for sure, <coughs> absolutely. We get a bit of kitsch as well. Should we should we deal with that? Which which bit are you talking about? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, look, seventies, come on. Bo- <laughs> you know, Bond. We we've had disco, we've had funk. Why not a little bit of bossa when he arrives in Rio? Oh, oh Nick will love this. Oh, Nick will love it. This this is this is my favorite cue for yeah. the entire Bond series. <laughs> Here we go. Listen up, people. <laughs> Just make a point about that. I actually think, I mean, that's, that's, it's, you know, very, very great um, and, and a beautiful piece of light music writing, but I just don't know if they've nailed the rhythm section. Because with a, with a, a bossa and with most Latin American music in general, you need the clave rhythm, which is the dut, 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 dut. Yeah, maybe it's not a boss. It's more like yeah, yeah. It's like a begin or something. Yeah, totally. Whereas if I if I play this back again, just just sort of softly. It's there, but those three at the start, they feel just a bit rushed to me. Like there's sort of the beats kind of pushing and it's not quite there. Yeah, I mean, I'm not hearing a bossa at all, really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even from the bass line, like a, a classic bossa bass line is, um, you know, dun, 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 Yeah. So, like, yeah. sort of like a merengue or something. Yeah, yeah. there's I it's another type. In that sequence, doesn't he like? Isn't that like the, the kind of the Clint Eastwood bit where he's wearing the poncho and he goes to the the secret headquarters? It's almost like it's a bit of that spaghetti westerny. Um, oh, it, it sounds like a western kind of. Yeah, yeah. And I yeah. think because he's in Rio, but mm. he then ends up either on a horse or wearing a, a Clint Eastwood style poncho. That sounds with just the like hat. the Roger Moore era. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> If it's like not they're just a, bastardizing if it's not a all these suit, genres yeah. together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it totally sounds like it would be a cue where they're on the horse, and we've now got traveling music yep. between the ranch and the the mm. you know the yeah. prairie, mm. and uh, that's exactly the cue it's that would. Clint play. Eastwood in in Rio. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's that that bastard genre which we just invented then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But look, speaking of uh, kitsch and look in this great era of. Bond getting his um, funk, getting his groove. I think, you know, we have to look at For Your Eyes Only, which is the great Bill Conti score, which <laughs> is just, look, some people describe it as controversial. I describe it as groovy. Um, <laughs> that, that's, that's more flattering than controversial. Yeah, yeah. Put yeah. that on the poster. Uh, <laughs> I describe it as groovy, yeah. signed the whitest man in... Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, look, this is... Look, let me just play. This is the start 
This is the start of the film, the first cue of the film, which features, actually, importantly from a narrative perspective, this supposedly ties up the Spectre subplot, which has been there since uh, From, from Russia, Russia With, with Love. Love. And, you know, uh, where eventually Bond kills Ernst Stavro Blofeld, the, the villain who killed his love all the way back in uh, on Her Majesty's Secret oh, yes. Service. And, you know, he's dispatched in the opening, you know, pre-credits sequence. But we get this amazing, amazing cue, which I'll, I'll play a little bit of, and then I'll, I'll bring it down and skip a little bit forward in the track, because uh, as much as I want to show you all sort of four or five minutes of it, I think, I think we probably, probably time is against us. So here we go. So now we'll just uh, skip a little bit ahead and we'll, we'll hear where things end up with a decidedly 1981 sound. bit of slap bass in there yeah you know. i mean we're, we're coming right out of you know the the classic funk era mm. in in 70s mm. uh but then that is such a like a much more studio sound so i'm thinking yeah. you've Isn't got it? yeah you've got um michael horns. jackson yep you know yeah. doing his thing around that time yep uh the horns are far more disciplined mm. you know mm. they're they're really sort they're of punchy. super tight yeah mm. yeah and there's all of this uh like i said i i, I really think it's coming from the jackson influence it's that era of Funk influenced, yep. so it's definitely coming out of the seventies. Not a brand new thing. Mm. We haven't quite got into the, you know, the power rock and guitars and synths and stuff. But then, of course, there is the beginning of the synths. You know, mm. that's coming in as well. And mm. um, it's got that synth solo over the top. And and those, yeah. like, almost like those horns, almost feel like they're those synth horn patches. Yes. Get up, up, up. Yeah, you know, exactly. Really cleanly off. Mm. And you see, he hurry. He kind of took a bit of license with the melody. He totally lost the chromaticism. Mm. Yeah, just yeah, yeah. He just sort of eschews that. Yeah, right. Hmm. But, you know, he made it his own, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and it doesn't feel orchestral. It feels, yeah. I think you nailed it on the head, mm. Andrew. It feels like a studio band. Mm. Yeah, yeah, mm. exactly. You know? Yeah. Mm. Interesting. Even in the way it's recorded, I mean, it's compressed yeah. for the first time. Like a lot of those other cues. We're hearing, you know, organic, for want of a better term, recordings without any compression and digital compression. Mm. This is, you can feel that everything's been studio-ified yeah. 
through this, and that, I think that helps it feel tight. And you, you've also got Weather Report around the time yeah, doing, true. you know, very tight versions of this sort of music, and mm. there's all these influences coming through that, yeah. And like you said, I, I love this. This is a you know a journey through eras of music as much yes. as it is a journey through eras of Bond. Absolutely, know? I think you know by the end. I mean, really, you'd be able to piece together kind of a, an edit of a lot of these different versions of the same James Bond theme mm. and be able to take yourself generically through 1960s to 2018. Yeah. yeah. And when, when was Rocky written? Is this post-Rocky? This is post-Rocky. So did, do you reckon kind of Rocky got him the gig? Yeah. Oh, look, I'd say so. You'd have yeah. to say so. I mean, yeah, obviously his biggest score, probably still today. Is Rocky, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And would this be his second? You reckon? Probably, yeah. Yeah. I, can't, I don't know a lot of Bill Conti's music. Uh, I know he's been around for a while and, and is well, well regarded and respected. Mm. Um, but yeah, I really reckon they would have hired him on the back of, of Rocky and possibly wanted a bit of that, that kind of sound. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's hard to assume any other reason because, I mean, mm. Bond is Bond at this point. Yeah. You know, it's a big deal. They're not just handing it out to whoever's. Mm. So the person who's had a massive hit, mm. um, Rocky is sort of muscular. Yeah. And, you know, it's once again, it's a sign of the times. Yeah. And, you know, how do we keep Bond fresh? Are we bringing someone who's just off the back of that sort of Rocky vibe? And, and I mean, you know, more than that as well, the first Rocky movie, not so much the sequels, but the first Rocky movie is, you know, it, it's very much like a working class drama. Yeah. It, there's a lot of sort of grit and, and poverty to it. Totally. Yeah. Um, and for your eyes only the pre-title sequence notwithstanding with dropping Blofeld down a, down a chimney from a <laughs> helicopter is actually quite a serious film. It's probably the most serious of, of the, the Roger Moore yeah, era. Definitely. I actually really quite like it for, for that reason. Um, it's got a, a really great mountaintop climax. Literally cliffhanger ending. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so I mean, you know, maybe as well they were thinking of Conti as being associated with someone who can bring a bit of style and modern trend to a film that was actually a bit a bit sort of gritty and realistic and which is kind of what they're trying to do with Furious only another yet another articulation point for the franchise. Do you guys think that the producers cuz think about it, every time there's a new composer the subsequent film Barry was back. Ha. So do you think it was Barry was just sorry guys I'm busy my career is taking off or do you think mm. they were trying a new direction and then got kind of got cold feet and went oh Actually, look, this is this is taking us away from the bond that we know. Let's bring back John. Mm. Um, what, what do you reckon? Well, it could be a combination. Because yeah, really. Martin Barry, Hamlish Barry, Conti Barry. I mean, it sort of feels like Barry was on call. Like you know, yep, you can try your stuff with the new kids, but I'll always be here for you. Yeah, you know, sort of. Yeah, I think that's yeah. I mean, it is possible that there's. Scheduling conflicts and so on, mm. um, and it is possible that it's like you know he may not be absolutely champion at the bit to to do another Bond. No. Mm. Uh, he's he said he that was, he needs to say yeah. he was um, starting to phone it in at this stage. I reckon. Yeah, Late but 80s. it you know what I think is very probable is regardless of scheduling and so on that absolutely they go with a different composer. They get something that maybe they weren't after mm. per se. Uh, or it's not quite perfect and then like you said they get cold feet and then have to convince Barry to come back and I, I think that phoning it in vibe is emblematic of that happening so where he's like you know I don't really need this Bond thing anymore yeah. fine you're going to throw a lot of money at me okay let's do this thing you know? yeah. um, and then you get you know, less and less inventive scores mm. as it goes along I mean sort of that's really kind of to a degree what we get from here so we've got three Barry scores in a row from this point 
We've got Octopussy in 1983, A View to a Kill in 85, and The Living Daylights in 87. Uh, and of course, you know, this charts the end of the Roger Moore era too. I, d- I don't know if we're going to say much about Octopussy. Look, yeah, Octopussy, I think, God, we can almost skip it. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, look, you know, it's the film was okay. Mm. The score's okay. The, the song is not my yeah, favourite. Yeah, the song... song All Time High of, by Rita Coolidge. Yeah, it sort of came and went. I mean, again, mm. you know, Barry does his... His thing, you know, nice romantic treatment, sure. some some typical action music. I think if you do a kill is a notch above, primarily because the song was so freaking oh, great. It's I mean great. at the time it was the only Bond song to hit number one in yeah. the US oh, really? on the Billboard charts. Yeah, yeah, right. I think since maybe Skyfall has also hit number one, and I mean, yeah, sure. Spectre won an Oscar yeah. stuff. But mm. at the time, yeah, View to a Kill was. I mean, you compare the song of Duran Duran's versus All Time High, and that second one just feels so tepid and lame. I mean, I have to say, A View to a Kill as a film has always been a slight disappointment to me because it's Roger Moore's last film. He's probably getting a bit, you know, long in the tooth. But, you know, it's Bond with a Duran Duran song, which is fantastic, with Christopher Walken as the bad guy and Grace Jones (laughs) as another villain. I mean, it should be knock out of the park amazing but it's sort of it's just okay yeah which is which is unfortunate what is really interesting about that song and i know we're not going to talk about too mm. many of the songs is that that's almost the first time for a barry penned one uh i mean he, he wrote it with duran duran the rumors were that they were very difficult to work with yes, and i think I've a lot of that. the harmonic stuff is his but for the first time you really hear the actual band putting their stamp on the song. Yeah. You know, listen to Diamonds Are Forever, Moonraker, Goldfinger. They're basically, they're very orchestral. They they really sound just like Barry's yeah. kind of orchestra with some yeah. rhythm stuff. Songs Here, written for an artist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This really feels like a, a, a collaboration as far as yeah. it sounds. And it continued to the next film, The Living Daylights, you know, with a, what's the group? Aha. Uh-huh. Aha. Uh-huh. Mm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, The View to Kill. And maybe that's why it charted so well. Mm, you know, possibly. And it's really, for, for that band, I mean, that's still one of their biggest hits. Yeah, uh, and you yeah, can't say that for, for all sure. all artists who have done Bond songs. I mean, God, it reeks of the '80s, though, doesn't it? Yes. I mean, 1985. It couldn't be more. Like, if I was to write a parody of an '80s song, that's the song. Yeah, yep. you know, like yeah. it's the instrumentation. The, mm. I mean, the synths that are used, the sounds that are used, the everything is '80s, '80s, '80s. Yep. Mm. You know, and it filters into the action music too. And I like this score, but there is a lot of sort of repetition of the Honor, Majesty's Secret Service kind of action music. But have a listen here, where you'll you'll hear that bass line from the Lazenby film mixed with this pretty groovy trumpet tune and a kind of like this sort of awesome electric guitar which almost sounds like it's a Duran Duran inspired thing sort of wailing over the top.
mean, what does that remind us of? <laughs> James Bond? Yeah. But I mean, I mean you know, it's the <laughs> yeah, ski yeah. chase, right? Yeah. From, from on Her Majesty's yeah. Secret Service. Uh, similar with that descending sort of motif. And that classic, you know. Yeah. What will happen? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, all, all I could think of is... And while I was, I'm sitting here trying to rack my brain for the name, and it's very embarrassing, and I'm not going to be able to say it. Why, why even bring it up? <laughs> uh, the the um, the cop movie um, with oh, I'm getting too old for this. Oh, you know, Lethal Weapon. Uh, lethal Weapon. Mm. All I can think of is Lethal Weapon through mm. that entire thing. It's that wailing guitar, yeah. you know, over the top of everything. So much saxophone in that score. Just oh, like there is ambient saxophone. Yeah, that's why I love it so yeah, much. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, no, but that, that once again, that '80s mm. film vibe where they've suddenly bringing in those pop instruments to sort of just, you know, jam over the top mm. and wail, you yeah. know. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's sort of cool. But look, I reckon we'll look at scores from, you know, the era we're in now yeah. in 20, 30 years and go, oh, remember that when that was like the thing? Yeah, when, yeah, when, yeah. when was, putting a little bit of synth, yeah. you know, rhythm in in there was, was a good idea. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll see that with, uh, with uh, David Arnold. Yeah. <laughs> now, The Living Daylights. Yes. Um, very sad, guys. This is Barry's mm. last Bond score. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, and look, for me, this this is uh, maybe it's because it's a film that I grew up watching over and over. Um, I totally love this score. I think it's a great film as well. And again, another great articulation point for the franchise because yep. we're, we're sort of doing away with the excess of the Roger Moore era. Um, in the Timothy Dalton era, there's sort of the, the mood is noticeably different, a bit darker, a little bit less freely, freewheeling with the sex. Some people have theorized that this particular, you know, it was like this is the era of the AIDS crisis in particular, right? And sort of people are started, starting to go, oh, maybe that wasn't such a good idea. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah and, interesting. And Bond is, you know, until Daniel Craig, a lot of people argued that Timothy Dalton was sort of the closest to the yeah. book version um, of, of Bond. And so, you know, we get that with The Living Daylight. So maybe it's nice that John Barry sort of hung around long enough to score this kind of, again, new articulation of Bond. Yeah, And I think look, what, what really made this score was Barry's application of... Um, sort of since and particularly the drum machine and all mm. of a sudden um, it really contemporized it for this at least for this point in time uh, my only only kind of negative thing I'll say about his application of the drum machine is that it's it doesn't change it's like he found one kind of rhythmic groove and mm. just used it in every cue that he used his drum machine so much so that I'll actually play you three separate cues throughout <laughs> this film and I've actually cross-faded them they sound like the same piece of music wow so this is the um the opening kind of chase on top of the Jeep in Gibraltar at the start. Then we get a, the great secondary kind of bad guy theme for this film, um, which is for the, oh, what's the guy's name? Necros. Necros. Necros, the guy with the exploding milk bottles. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I take back what I said before about the moving away from excess. Yeah. He, he was a good baddie. No, yeah. And um, that was actually, it's actually musical material derived from the song Where Has Everybody Gone, which was mm. um, used the Pretenders. Mm. Um, and then it actually, at the very end it goes into the basically like the, the main Living Daylights theme that um, that he wrote with Aha but again all used within the score and you'll hear this drum machine passage just the same here we go
one. And the final one. It is pretty similar. I mean, yeah. you've you got to give the guy credit, though. I mean, he's been doing this for now 24, 25 years, the same franchise <laughs> with similar musical ideas, and he's managed to find something new at the end. I mean, it's it's Look, pretty impressive. And it's pretty cool, that stuff. Yeah. I, I still I still kind of bop along, and I, yeah. I, I love it. I personally appreciated the attention to detail that mm. Nick uh, made sure that the beat never changed. Yeah. Like, nice when he was work. editing that together... Yeah. He's lined it up like yeah, it was meant Some to be that great, way. Great uh, DJ beat matching Thanks going. On. Yeah, yeah, no, it's great, man. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm me hearing. Minutes. <laughs> um, I'm hearing like smooth criminal in oh, a yeah. weird way. Yeah, yeah. you know, no, throughout absolutely. all of that. Um, mm. Once again, Jackson. Yep. Mm. Uh, you know, it, that particular treatment, I guess, or that that groove feels, and I'm, you know, I'm going to use the term, unfortunately, but it feels more black than white. When I think mm. of the the. Um, Oh, there's a Michael Jackson thing. Um, <laughs> the, uh, you know, it, the Duran Duran feels like it's a, you know, it's a white pop band from mm. the 80s. A lot of these feel like, you, you have there's like those two sort of streams. Yeah. Yeah, there's yeah, yeah, one's yeah. a little more funk interest, um, influenced than, than rock influenced. Yep. Mm. Uh, this one sort of feels right back to that, that earlier Jackson again. You and know? do you think it works better as a sort of, um, sort of dirtier, grungier spy. Yeah, I think of, so. It's a bit I more danger so. to it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it, look, it would have been amazing actually. Thinking of that, it would have been amazing to have Quincy Jones do a Bond oh, yeah. soundtrack <laughs> at yeah. some yeah. point. <laughs> uh, and during this period, he would have been an ideal composer, really. Mm. But I mean, actually, look, thinking just as a comment on the movie and thinking about this this ongoing conversation we're having about these films dating. I mean, surely nothing dates the Living Daylights more than the fact that Bond ends up allied with the Mujahideen at the end, which is the future Taliban. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, you know, looking back on that today is... I mean, it, look, it just illustrates the changes to, to geopolitics, really. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Fascinating. <laughs> so, look, with Barry really kind of um, done with Bond, um, producers, of course, turn to a new composer. Mm. And we get actually... You guys mentioned Lethal Weapon before. Um, the composer of Lethal Weapon. And again, this could have been something that got him the gig. Mm. Um, slightly, you know, different kind of cop vibe in yeah. Bond yeah, yeah. Um, in Michael Kamen and look, look I like this film uh, this is Licence to Kill we're talking about mm. 1989 and look Kamen stuff I think people forget about it a bit but it's mm. pretty complicated yeah, and I it's like actually a return mm. unlike the other composers that have stepped in you know Marvin Hamlish George Martin it's almost entirely orchestral Mm. You know, and mm -hmm. he's the first non-barrier to composer to just throw himself head on into orchestral stuff and pretty complicated stuff. There's lots of, uh, I guess I'll call it, you know, high stakes drama and dissonance and you get mm. it right from the gun barrel. It said that Michael came and jumped up and down and screamed when he got the gig with excitement. <laughs> you know, I've got a Bond film, 
obvious. <laughs> um, as I would do, aside from peeing my pants with excitement. Um, and this opening gun barrel, he just, it's definitely putting his own stamp on it. Check it out. doesn't date this one at all. No, that could be from any sure. era. Yep. Any era of Bond that would work. Mm. I think. Yeah. And I mean, you know, like as well, I, you know, this is this is the the 80s blockbuster style score, you know, the yeah. Williams influenced or, you know, Alan Silvestri influenced. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. era of like the real return to the orchestra. 1989, yeah, totally. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And um, you know, this this film has a lot of Latin American locales yep. in it and Cayman uses that a bit and I'll play the end of the kind of the pre-title sequence but the music here it really has a great sense of anticipation and, and chase and, and fun um, and we also get a bit of a Latin vibe it almost sounds like Zorro has rocked up yeah. for a few bars here <laughs> um, but check out the latter half of this cue when Cayman starts to build that kind of Bond vibe. It's really his own style. And even from like, you know, there's this kind of 90s rock guitar that comes in. The harmony is, is kind of different. He kind of moves. Um, I'm playing the wrong notes. But he has this kind of like upward progression of the, of the bass lines later on, which we've kind of never heard under the Bond theme. It's really, yeah, it's good fun. bit of bond check it out
That's so great. Yeah. It's cool, isn't it's it? It's so much fun. And Andrew, the, the brass nailed everything. Yeah. Oh, they did. They <laughs> did. Yeah. yeah I mean, they, did, they did many takes of that. Yeah. None, none of this flubbing, oh, let's move on, guys. Yeah, you, can, you know what you can tell is that the, the Hollywood scene or whatever you want to call it, the session musician scene <laughs> has got red hot yeah. at this point, you know. The players they have in the room are just killing it. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that one, probably more than any of the previous ones, pretty much takes every element from all of the successful previous Bond version, Bond themes, mm. you know, that, that twangy, um, surfy guitar, the swing band, the, the orchestra, because even when it gets to the swing bit, it doesn't go full yeah. big band. Yeah. There's still timpani and all sorts of other things going on and, and woodwinds and... And it, it's like it's, he's mixed in every great element from the previous eras into a single version. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's really yeah. fun. Really, and, really and fun. And apart from that guitar, you're, you're absolutely right. It doesn't really date. Yeah. No. Just uh, that, that chorus tonight. Yeah, oh, well, that too. Yeah. <laughs> but no, the, the, the chorus effect on the, on the, the guitar, guitar yeah. Oh, yeah. that's very 89. Of the time. Yeah. 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 Um, and I'll, look, I want to play a bit of also, we haven't done this with all the composers, uh, some of Cayman's more romantic music uh, for the love interest in the film. And look, to me, this is nice, but it, it, there's no element of sort of, of danger or mystery in, in the romance writing here. And, and to me, does date the score a little more. Um, and this is the music for um, Pam. Uh, Bond's love interest in the film. Pam is played by Carrie Lowell, who uh, is, aside from Licence to Kill, most famous for her role as the assistant district attorney in the early Law and Order series. So it's real like 80s feeling. um, Do you know what I instantly thought of when I heard that is Mm. The Princess Bride. Yeah. Mark Knopfler, Dire Straits. It's that, that Dire Straits guitar, that Mark Knopfler guitar. And where it's sort of acoustic, but with a little bit of something mm, thrown yeah. on the top. Mm. Uh, and yeah. even that, um, remember Michael Kamen did the score for Robin Hood and that Brian yes. Adams song. I mean, this is all around the same time. I mean, yeah. um, mm. uh, Princess Bride's 1987, yep. this is 89. Robin Hood's 91, maybe. Yeah, mm. but we're mm. within that era of the um, what amounts to, you know, when I'm thinking of the pop music of the time, mm. it's the, the power ballad. For sure. You know, that nylon string guitar. Nylon string yeah. guitars, yeah, yeah. Very that, tasteful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For sure. It's great, yeah. And I mean, what happened with the films? Because there's only two Timothy Dalton films. 
is that, I mean, you know, we're talking about the series evolving and changing and responding to what's happening around it. We mentioned before, Andrew, you mentioned um, uh, 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 the um, cop films. Um, Lethal, Lethal Weapon. Weapon. Lethal Weapon. We will never remember their names, yeah, Dan. Yeah. It is our curse. But, I mean... As well as that, I mean, they're responding to the era of like Die Hard, you know. Yeah. The, these are the popular yep. sort of a bit more gritty, mm. a bit more believable, perhaps. Or as I like to say, the greatest Christmas movie yeah, ever made. It, exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Anyway. And, also and it scored by Michael Caine. Yeah, 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 right. Come at me, haters. But <laughs> <laughs> but Bond did this and, and responded to that and became a bit more, you know, as we're saying, gritty and, and realistic and, and dark and violent. Um, but actually, you know... License to Kill in particular was heavily criticised at the time for being too much, for just sort of, you know, being a bit too gruesome, you know. There's no, yeah, right. the, there's okay. a bit, you know, there's some pretty grisly deaths involved mm. in this film um, and not a lot of mirth. Um, and certainly 1989, you know, sort of the end of the Cold War, people are wondering, well, where's Bond going? We've sort of taken Bond down a dark turn that we didn't think he'd go and the Russians sort of can't really be the bad guys anymore. Yeah, yeah. And so what happens is after License to Kill, there's a bit of a crisis for the franchise and there's the longest gap mm. um, out of any, um, you know, between any films. We're no longer cranking one out every year. <laughs> so we go from 89 to then Pierce Brosnan <coughs> in 95 with GoldenEye. Did you... Uh, I can never remember how much younger you are to me, Dan. <laughs> um, so so fresh-faced always. Yep. Yep. Uh, did you see it at the um, cinemas? Um, GoldenEye, no, I mean. I... No, I probably would have been just too young. The first yeah. one that oh. I saw at the cinemas was Tomorrow Never Dies. Oh, right, okay. Yep. Um, I mean, we, I, I saw it at the cinemas. Yeah, me, me too. This is my first... I, I was a movies. Bond fan before that, but... It was. I had never seen any of the previous Bonds, you know, at the cinema. Mm. Even though I probably could have seen a fair few of them before that. Um, and I think it's probably because my my parents love them. But at the end of the day, it's not the most mm. awesome thing to take your kids along no. to. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, even though I think also at the same time I'm watching Predator and sure. you know Aliens yep. and yep. you know so on. Um, uh, maybe it was the you know the overt sex stuff on the or not overt mm. sex stuff in there mm. either way i remember thinking that bond was bond it was done mm. Mm. you know it, right you know, license to kill was the final thing huh. um i of course you know it's it's the 90s and the internet isn't really around at least mm. in my world and you know i certainly weren't buying magazines and listening to rumors so mm. i never imagined that there would be another bond mm. and i remember when this was announced People lost their minds, yeah. like because I think, like you said, the the assumption was that yeah. Bond had reached its conclusion. Yeah. You know, you'd taken it as far as it could go down a certain path, and it was done now. Yeah, and it was maybe old fashioned. I think there was in the nineties where things are a little more squeaky clean. Yep. Um, you are really asking the question: What does Bond make sense yeah. in the nineties? You know, yeah. because we're not we're not womanizing. You know, there's lots of fresh faced. Um, TV, um, family, mm. friendly, everything. Era of Dallas and yeah. you know, like those sorts of uh, shows. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know. GoldenEye, I remember just being very excited to and go it, and see. And it was a big get to get Pierce Brosnan as yeah. Bond because mm. they tried to get him before, but he was committed to his TV series, which had made him famous, which was Remington Steel. Again, it's mm. sort of, you know, action spy-ish sort of, sort of thing. Yeah. 
But, you know, we return with Goldeneye in 95 and, the, you know, they figure out a way to continue to make the Russians the villains <laughs> uh, in that we start with a flashback during the Cold War mm. and then we see a, a rogue group, a rogue yes. group of Russians sort of play things out in the mm. new capitalist post-Cold War <laughs> Russia. Yep. Um, but we get an entirely different musical landscape for this film mm. than any other Bond, I think. So different that I've just started my second martini. <laughs> <laughs> he has, folks. To get us through yeah. this. Um, yes, French composer Eric Serra, who, look, is probably most famous for his work with French director Luc Besson. Um, yep. Think of films like The Professional or Lyon, as it was known in some countries. Mm, mm. Um, you know, like, I mean, look, he's mainly famous for being, for want of a better term, a synthesist, you know, um, a synth composer. Um, and I don't mean that in any kind of derogatory way. It's just more his his style and his modus of operandi. He's written some great scores. Um, and Goldeneye really polarised people. Um, yep. You know, look, whether whether Barry was even in the picture and, and, you know, they thought of him to help revive it, I don't know. But at some point, Eric Serra got the gig. And definitely, as Dan said, is probably the most different sound for a Bond film that we've ever had and mm-hmm. have had ever since. Mm-hmm. Um, very synth-heavy and... Just, I mean, let, let's just hear the opening gun barrel sequence where, like Cayman, there's such an, a distinctive style put on this film from the get go. <laughs> And look, you know, the elements are there. There's the fanfare, barred up. There's uh, the riff, very subtly. And there's even that, you know, chord at the end. But it's it's paired back. There's no huge mm. orchestra. It's, yep. it's, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's really mm. kind of minimally done. Yeah, synth heavy. Synth heavy, yeah. Mm. And look, I think that's what the producers had instructed him probably to do or mm. at least hired him to do that. Mm. Um, well, you don't get a composer like him no, thinking maybe. that you're going to get an orchestral score. Absolutely. No. Mm. So, I mean, yeah, maybe they didn't know what they'd get. Mm. And, mm. you know, that's, that's probably the, the biggest update to the Bond sound that, that would ever come along. And you get weird things like like the Bond theme played on timpani, like the whole melody yeah. um, in what we call the GoldenEye Overture. But interestingly, there's a bit of Goldfinger in this. Have a, have a listen <laughs> to this track where you'll hear these responses that kind of go, womp, 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 yep. <laughs> just like Goldfinger. So, And that I'm sure that would have had to be deliberate. But it's, um, yeah, check out this, this timpani Bond theme.
I mean, look, it, it's so endlessly inventive. I, yeah. I, I, you know, even if I hated the sound, which I don't, I, I don't think I could bring myself to hate the score because it's just so, you know, every idea is fresh and new and different, yeah. even mm. if it has dated, I think, yeah. quite and You've got those strongly. kind of choral, whoa, yeah. you know, uh, <laughs> it's almost mm. like, a, like a quasi-religious group of yeah. men sort of chanting mm. in the background. And um, like the elements are kind of there of, of Bond. It's just... Mm done so differently mm. in a way that you haven't yeah. heard before. I mean, I've always thought that the Goldfinger horns, the Goldfinger trumpets, wah, 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 mm. is actually very James Bond. Like yeah. it has become, because of the, the how huge that song is in the, the Bond, you know, mythos, mm. uh, that, that response is as Bond to me as any of those other elements, mm. even mm. though it's not used that often. Mm. Uh, but you could throw that at the end of any musical phrase and it's Bond instantly, yeah. you know, every time. Mm. I mean, the other thing I, I, I... Well, actually, I don't hate to go back to it because I love it so much, but mm. back to Michael Jackson. Yeah. Uh, the album Dangerous. Mm. Was it 92? Maybe that came out? 92? Sure. Um, so, once again, a couple of years before... I think we're listening to the same things, Andrew, because I think I'm, I'm hearing what you're hearing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah as well. but it sounds like uh, various tracks from Dangerous, yeah. mm. you know, um, mm. where Jackson sort of moved away from the funk orientated and went into more of this highly produced yeah. synth. It's almost a hip-hop... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Girl, it's so dangerous. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's got that whole vibe going on, and you know, I think it's 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 helped by the fact that the instruments are the same. Mm. You know, they're using similar, you know, technology. Uh, but it's the vibe as well. Like, I, I mean, Michael Jackson was always ahead of his time by at least two, three, four, five years. Mm. Um, <laughs> and I think this, you know, this sort of shows that that style mm. is still fresh in '95, like it was in '91, '92. Mm. So, yep. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I look, I think one of the things that this music does is it makes Goldeneye as, as one of the most crucial reinvention points for James Bond. You know, how does he survive outside of the Cold War? This is a really existential question for a Cold War spy. Um, uh, <laughs> I've never thought about it like that, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it makes it a little bit of a period piece, actually, looking at it today. And, I mean, even at the time, you know, this is a really month out-of-date score, you know, like it's it's sort of really, really time and place. And I mean, we get that as well with, I think it's a bit of acid jazz uh, in, in, in the track where it, it's called Ladies First, where he's racing Xenia. Xenia on top of things. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he hasn't met Xenia yet, yeah. but he, he races And, and that's the film, the isn't it? It's like, you know, the mm. Aston Martin versus the contemporary Ferrari, the yeah. old versus the new. I mean, there's so mm. much iconography there yeah. in, in the visuals. Um, I mean, look, this track's interesting because it, it does sound like nothing else, mm. but have a listen towards the later half of the track where the strings come in. All of a sudden, when they enter, it's like, oh, there's the drama. Yeah. Because up until then, it's just, it's just kind of cool fun. Yeah.
I mean, I was trying to think of a better better term than acid jazz, but it's, mm. it, it is just that, isn't it? But combined with the DJ hip-hop scene, yeah. um, scratching scene coming out of the 80s, late 80s. It's, it's a bit of um, almost like I can see it being influenced by like Herbie Hancock, a bit of yeah. rocket in yeah, there. Yeah, it's totally what yeah. it is actually. There you've, mm. you've nailed it on the head. So, yeah, mm. great. Yeah, interesting. Mm. Nothing else like it in the Bond. No. God, no. <laughs> no. I think the closest Eric Serra gets to to Barry's kind of sound is actually in the the sort of the love or, or romantic material, um, specifically the I guess the theme he writes for Natalia, uh, the the love interest. And there's strings. There's a flute led theme. It's nice. It's pretty. It's it's minor key ish. So um, let's have a listen to this particular bit. And look, it could just be because it's using the sound that we're used to for yeah. Bond strings, flute, yeah. you know, um, and purely because of that, I mean, maybe he could have done anything and would have mm. sounded kind of Bond, do you more think Bond a, than the rest of it. But. Do you think it's a real flute? No, I don't think so, no. Yeah, it sounds like a like electronic it's wind a, instrument. It's a patch, yeah. 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 Even the strings feel a bit... Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know it was recorded with a, an orchestra in London, but mm. okay. um, maybe it is. Who, who I mean, we just once again some mm. digital compression on there that's making it sound a little Could faker be. than normal. Could but be, yeah. you know, I, I who plays um, Natalia again? Is it Isabella Skudupko? Skudupko. The only other movie that I've seen her in is Vertical Limits. <coughs> yeah, she was, yeah. and she had like blonde hair or something. She did, yeah. 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 Anyway, anyway. Um, actually, my favorite track from Goldeneye is the scene where. It's actually the bit just before the tank chase, which we're going to look at in a second for its amount of controversy. I don't know what this cue's called, but I'm, I'm going to call it escaping the archives because that's literally what they're doing. They're kind of being interrogated by um, the Russian general, I forget his name. Um, but to me, this is the closest Sarah comes to really kind of pretty pretty dramatic action stuff. It's It's got a bit of string work in it, but it just feels exciting and dark and, and there's a real kind of sense of urgency about it which some of his other stuff I don't think quite reaches the, the same level as this Nice little jig there, almost. Da, dun, da, da, dun, da, 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 da. Yeah. Imagine sort of, you know, 
The rebels, the rebels. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> bit of rebel fanfare in there. It's that groups of threes again, right? Mm. You know, yeah. But it doesn't feel triplety leading up to that. It's no, like a bit of kind of mm. cross rhythms. Yeah, mm. it's quite complex. It's yeah, cool. yeah. Mm. Now we're going to talk about the, the tank chase. Yes. Um, Sarah's cue called a pleasant drive in St. Petersburg, and look, it, it's controversial basically because the producers hated it. Uh, and in fact, uh, for the story I've read was that the editor who was editing this scene hated it and refused to have their name on the film if this cue stayed in. That's what I've read. Wow. It's out there okay. on the interwebs. Maybe I've read something wrong, but that, that was how serious they were getting yeah, there. They just thought it just did it. It's pretty strong. Mm. Like, it actually ended up getting replaced um, by a, a composer or really orchestrator called John Altman. I'm sure no one out there has heard of him. I've never heard of him before or since. Mm. Um, and apparently he was... A fairly regular collaborator with Eric Serra um, had sort of done some orchestrating on previous films for him. I'm not sure whether he orchestrated the rest of this score, but word is that, you know, there was like a Friday afternoon. The producer said, look, you've got some time on. And literally, the film was being released a week later. They said, <laughs> you can record. We've got some studio time on Tuesday. You can have every every top musician in London, including, you know, Derek Watkins, all the, all the A-list guys who've been playing on the score since like Dr. No, mm. um, you know, write something in a couple of days and, and he did. But let's listen first to what Sarah first wrote for this cue and then we'll, we'll see what the, the replacement track was. So this is called A Pleasant Drive in St. Petersburg. What do you guys think? I, I mean, I can't imagine a tank going around to yeah. that soundtrack. I mean, this is like the yeah. the, the premier action action sequence. Yeah, where basically the tanks going and just blasting through. Buildings. I mean, when I think back to that film, I think back to how I felt as a kid mm. watching it, or a teenager, I guess. Um, mm. And I think about what people were talking about on the news. You know, mm. on on like you know, Entertainment Tonight. Everyone talked about the tank sequence. Mm. I think the idea of the chase. By before that had sort of played out, you yeah. know, doing cars and boats and you know very yeah. normal things True. that that you could have a ride in yourself, mm. and the fact that they managed to re refresh the car chase mm. with the most ludicrous mm. thing you can mm. think of being a tank, I it really was the tent pole, you know, in a weird, a weird way the tent pole action sequence for this whole mm. film, and. I think they used it to advertise, to market this film mm. by saying, hey, you think you've seen everything mm. in those previous Bonds? Well, we've got something new that you've never seen. Mm. And I think about that, it's you know, it's a mechanical thing. It's not digital. And you've got all this scratching and yeah. rah, 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 mm. going on. Mm. It's, yeah. it's almost too, it's too cool. It's too laid back. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It is too cool. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not a cool like it's it's Bond being cool, but in an old-fashioned way. Yeah, it's not him being cool with with high tech. Yeah, 
Um, I can imagine that working with a really fancy car or a fancy plane that's got amazing technology sure, attached yeah. to it. Yeah, he's got an old visibility tank. car or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there's a certain amount of character building in this sequence as well, where, you know, like it, it does the same thing as we have in the opening sequence of Casino Royale, which is actually the same director. Mm. Yeah, right. Um, Martin Campbell directed both GoldenEye and Casino Royale. Uh, and. You know, we have this this sort of running joke of, you know, he's pursuing people in cars who are doing these artful dodging and then he just comes in his tank and blows the building that they were dodging around. You know, mm. he just goes <laughs> through it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same, same as Casino Royale with the parkour sequence. Whilst not where, moving a hair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Where, you know, inst- while the, 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 the person he's chasing is doing all this amazing parkour, you know, um, Daniel Craig as James Bond just smashes through the wall. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, there's that cer- certain kind of, blunt jokes that go along with yep. this that build the character of Bond that the music probably doesn't convey in yep. the way that it needed to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, look, let's have a listen to what John Altman wrote for the replacement sequence. Now, unfortunately, what I'm going to play you, um, the actual original recording for this sequence has never, ever been released. Um, mm. I don't think it ever will. So, what we have is actually a re-recording by the city of Prague, which um, doesn't quite capture the same the same screaming, you know, brass vibe as the original. But we really get a sense of of the difference in style. And there's a couple of little cool touches. There's there's actually this sort of constant triangle ring going, which is, to me is quite tense. There's this cool little piano lick, sort of. <laughs> Which, you know, add, add a bit of contemporaneous to it. And um, then, of course, there's just the, the classic Bond brass. Here comes the tank. It's nothing groundbreaking, mm. no, but it's not. it does exactly what it needs to do yeah. because it's allowing the the action to take yeah. front and center. Yeah. It's a pretty noisy know. scene. There's yeah. buildings oh, crumbling sure. yeah. and stuff. Yeah. And so you can tell that it's leaving room for that, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. bam, 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 wait for a bit, yeah. crash, mm. crash, boom, bam, 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 you know. Yeah. Mm. Um, and you, when, you, when you think about the, the deadline pressure that he had oh, like God. two yeah. days, you know, like you yeah. want to override or just, just, no. just get something out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. It, it really does what it needs to do, mm. you know. It yeah. just says, it's Bond. Yeah. I mean, I, I still think this movie is trying to convince everyone that Bond is relevant. Yeah, absolutely. And so mm. the easiest way to do that is not to go too nuts with let's reinvent every single element of mm. it. Mm. You know, let's just say he's back and it's bread and butter bond with some cool things you haven't seen before and, you know, we're back. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. So, I mean, really, yeah, we've we've gone over this period through a whole host of musical changes. We've gone from funk to disco to sort of, you know... Um, Michael Jackson. Uh, Michael Jackson <laughs> to, to acid jazz and, and a bit of hip-hop influence here, really. Do you think that... Uh, this is the most change that Bond underwent through this period that we've just checked out? Musically or filmically? Um, maybe both. 
Musically, probably. Mm. Filmically, probably not. No. Yeah. Okay. I reckon that's I think yet, where it's yeah, yet, yet to come. Yet to come. <laughs> yet to come. Yeah. yeah, you're 100 yeah. percent correct. Mm. Um, and then, and here's a question for you. Maybe we'll revisit that this at the end of of part three. But mm. um, I was trying to think who my favourite Bond is. Maybe mm. we should answer that at the end of part three. Mm. Maybe I will actually. You know what? I'm not going to say mm-hmm. who my favourite Bond is. Uh, I don't even know if I know yet. You know, maybe I'll take another part to work it out. You're keeping yourself in suspense. Yeah, 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 exactly. Who knows what I'm going to do? I want to hear your favourite Bond and favourite Bond film, Andrew. Favourite Bond Mm. film. Oh, that's hard. Um, Let's keep that till part three. If Mm -hmm. you have a... If you are listening to this now and uh, because we're coming to the end of part two yep and you want to just jump in you don't even you don't even care about part three (laughs) you already your mind's made up maybe you have a favorite bond film you have a favorite bond actor uh or or period or or music style um and you want to jump in get on uh the internet on twitter on facebook on instagram uh you know just reply to one of our posts where we posted this episode tell us what is your favorite i'd love to know because i actually think that Bond more than a lot of other franchises just has so many fans of different elements of it Yeah, you know with your Star Wars with your Black people tend to be fairly consistent with mm. what they think mm. is the best and the, the worst mm. uh, but this one I don't know it's always all over the shop um, mm. Bond is many things to many people so you know jump in there and tell us what, what your favourite is we're going to try to answer that question in part 3 ourselves so I'll, I'll set homework for the guys uh, for when we come back but I think that brings us absolutely to the end of part two. Mm-hmm. And, of course, in part three, we're going to just keep on kicking it on uh, through the David Arnold era Ooh. and through Pierce Brosnan. And, of course, we have to get to the modern era, for want yeah, of a better term, absolutely. I guess. Absolutely, yeah, with Daniel um, Craig. Daniel mm. Craig, absolutely, Thomas Newman. Mm. Uh, but that's, of course, for part three. So, until that time... I'm Andrew Pogson. That's Dan Golding. We will return. And he is Nicholas Buck. Dan stole my line, so... <laughs> we don't we play these things in advance. I'm going to go have a third martini. Yeah, yeah right. No, Thanks, no, guys. No, no, you're only supposed to say... You're supposed to say a quick response because then I say, and this was art of the score. 